If we were at a bowling alley, do you think we could find one that had a Mac Daddy mural cooler than the one in this episode? Okay, well, not like a modern one, but if we went back, there was this creepy bowling alley. It was so old at, in the town that I went to college in. It even like, you could still smoke in it. It was jacked up, like so gross. Like take a shower once you get home gross. They had some pretty crazy cool murals on the wall. I had some marvelous times at a bowling alley or two in my day. Would you rather have nachos or hot dogs no. at the bowling alley? Always hot dogs. And beer. Brooke is a hot dog, but she is nachos, Jake. See what I did there? Yeah, wow. That was really great. That's really, really great. Shut it, Trebek. In this most recent episode of Faux Ghost Face, there is an extremely comedic, brilliant exchange between Noah, the real Foster, and Audrey Jensen. I never did find Knife Stick. It was probably recruited into the killer's arsenal, brainwashed into thinking he was a weapon of evil. Hey, can we go back with my camera and shoot a modern-day Blair Witch with a retro bowling alley theme? I'm never setting foot in that place again. That was slimy, asbestos-sprinkled torture. But illuminating. I mean, Will was kidnapped and Jake was stabbed. Probably safe to take them both off the killer board. Unless that was exactly what it was meant to do. Jake's on the mend. Will's wounded warrior act made Emma forgive his sins. Either one of them could have set up this entire fiasco just to convince us to trust them. That's dark. Daisy Bell. Is this not one of your most favorite episodes? Love the bowling alley episode. Absolutely. So creepy. Full of creepy moments. Didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't know who the killer was. I felt like it was like five different people this whole entire episode. Well, what I found to be enchanting about this episode is that one, they selected a very scary, large and complex set and they spent ample time there. They gave the characters time to talk, to investigate, to be chased, chased down like dogs. And there was a lot of violence. This is the most we've seen of faux Ghostface in a short amount of time. He got a lot of screen time, right? And he pursued several of the main cast. Yep. How shocking did you find the ending to be when, oh, maybe Emma and Will are going to get back together? Oh my God, that was horrendous. Absolutely the most gruesome death thus far on screen in this show. And that's what we get for having several episodes without a death. It lulls you into a faux sense of security. And then boom, cut right nap. I got nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper Greetings, dreamy screamers! Welcome to Faux Ghost Face, an episodic autopsy companion series to Scream, the TV series, season 1 and 2. The TV series, which premiered on MTV, i.e. murderous television, where we scalpel deep and surgically critique this shamelessly delectable guilty party pleasure. Today, we will cut a devilishly delectable slice of the Scream the TV series Carnage Confection with our seventh faux ghost face review 
of Chapter 7, In the Trenches. It is a bona fide undertaking to locate in the vast black pockets of Wren Lake. Isn't Wren Lake also great? I can't wait till we get to find ourselves back to that dark, murky body of water. I'm not swimming in it. Neither should you. Nope. If the water is black, you must turn and go back. That is the rule. <laughs> it's just like leaves of three, leaves of four, eat some more, this sort of thing. Oh, I thought you were doing a play on OJ. Oh, the glove. Yeah. Fit, <laughs> Leave it to you to turn an otherwise innocuous comment into something racial and inflammatory. Or crime. I mean, I like crime. It didn't have to be about race. Oh, we're well past that now. We're on lap two of that race. A shipwreck treasure of a television show worth pursuing and exploring. Though often proving a blood-red herring, my tireless quest is occasionally rewarded with the indelible gem of a stellar and rewarding TV treat. Scream, the TV series, carries the torch of that very same treat. Imagine if the Olympics were held in Lakewood. I can think of one Olympic event, running for your fucking life. Yup. Or how about knife slash stab accuracy? Or who can do the best John Wick role in a bowling alley in the dark to evade a faux ghost face strike? Wow, I can see that you've really thought about this, and I'm a little scared to think, I mean... Who can unlock their cell phone the fastest? What about, yeah, without, like, with, to make it harder, you have to have blood on your fingers? And you can only use your pinky. Oh my god. The Scream Films, this show's source material, such a treasure trove of valuable, sparkling, brilliantly scripted matter, spoken by comely faces who act well, seem genuine, and their ultimate fates to us matter. You are our dreamy screamers, which no doubt makes you undeniably special, for you are dreamy in your scream, and scream deep within your dreams. We politely ask you to parse and ponder the following. Is it a dream within a scream, or a scream within a dream? You may not be able to run in a dream, but from faux ghost space, you can run, climb, and attempt to hide but you're already dead inside. Will the killer spare them, or will he strike? To use some bowling alley <laughs> puns. You're such a turkey. Here, in your dreamy, dreamlike state, each scream makes you feel alive. For as others may be killed, gruesomely at times, for example, Will Belmont, R.I.P., rest in pieces, Will Belmont, you instead shall thrive, as you strive to remain alive and to stick with your living Lakewood hive. Welcome, dreamy screamers, to Fogo's face, half in hell, other half heaven, within part seven. A date to dismember. Emma gives Will a splitting headache. Will the killer strike, or will spare? Is today's slice of Scream the TV series deft usage of substitution plot and a substitute killer? Now, we play hide-and-seek with Emma, a jock, Brooke, and a geek. Shake and Jake, leaks of blood, a lake, and faux ghost face will him forsake. Time to play Daisy in F-Stars with Emma's brain near an insane bowling lane. Today, the sinister subplot thickens into thin air. Jake and Brooke need to get a room within this bowling alley of doom. Piper may be coming, too. But faux ghost face ain't through, and what the fuck is Emma to do? Maggie slices and dices spinach and kale, while the killer, Will, 
flails in a sales. It is time for serialized killer trivia. Emma says, I'll be right back. This is a direct reference to the original 1996 Scream. Horror movie lore. Whoever says this won't be back. On Emma's shelf, a Harley Quinn pop doll was shown during her call with Will. Harley Quinn is a DC Comics character. Bex Taylor Kloss, who plays Audrey, also starred in Arrow, a show based on DC comic character Green Arrow. Love all the Harley references. Body count, one. Will. Jake and Will are both stabbed in non-lethal areas after being revealed as conspiring together. This could be a reference to the first movie, Scream 1996, considering the knife Jake pulls out of his backpack after arriving at the bowling alley is the one in his chest. I didn't really think until you read that, I didn't connect that Will and Jake... I mean, obviously, I knew Will and Jake were the next ones to get attacked, but I didn't connect that they were conspiring and also, you know, relate that to the fact that they were next on the list. But in the closeout conversation between Noah and Audrey, Noah pretty much reads them the riot act behind his back. He says, how do we know that Jake and Will aren't the killers? They both conveniently survive. Now Will can play the Wounded Warrior Act. I read this at the beginning of this episode. Noah, and what we like about Noah is he's a surrogate. He's the surrogate suspicious one on behalf of the audience. He's asking the questions before we have a chance to, thus allowing the show to be one step swifter than we are in our analyses. Throughout the episode, Jake miraculously changes footwear between a pair of dark shoes, a lighter tan colored pair, and a pair of black boots. Oh, I, I didn't notice that. Must just be a continuity error. We're not going to read too much into that Or they're that trying now. to throw us off. I didn't notice it either. It or was kind of a killer. dark bowling alley. Yeah. Scream Episode 7 in the trenches. We are past the halfway point as of a couple of episodes ago. This season started very strong. It has more than held my interest thus far. And as we get into these episodes towards the grand finale of Season 1, I am stoked. I am fucking enthused about what's happened and where we're headed. I don't know about you, Daisy Bell, but I am officially invested in the outcome of these beloved characters. Well, I feel like I say it every episode, but it keeps getting better and better and better and better and better. I think that the ending of this episode qualifies as a goddamn cliffhanger, or I guess you could call it an Emma hanger. But man, what the hell? This also, I got whiffs of this show being a confident one. Clearly, the writers knew that people would be up in arms. Why hasn't there been more slaughter? I'm in desperate need of some maniacal killings and slashings and gore. They need this. Well, you get it. You get more gore than you bargain for. We start with Piper, one of the most sharply dressed characters on this show. If you recall, she was left in the abandoned parking garage, knocked out, head wounds, fell on some rebarb or some shit, and she's coming to at dawn. She's got a head wound. And she actually seems distraught. She looks out into the blood trail where Will was so unceremoniously dragged away. We wonder where she's going to go and what she's going to do. Meanwhile, Will is duct taped and tied up. Duct tape and no escape. Notice that the killer was kind enough to cut a little air hole in the duct tape. Very good of him or her or them, whatever. The point is, the killer, who we haven't gotten to see a shit ton of personality from yet, Walks over to Will, gets all up in his face, 
with his mask turned at like a 45 degree angle, just like Othello and OJ will when you make a strange sound and they cock their or head they to the side. The killer puts his finger over his mouth, all creepy like, like the universal sign for shh. This reminds me of season two of True Detective. Ray Belcoro, played by Colin Farrell, does the exact same thing and it's really creepy. Sausage and kale. Maggie is making sausage and kale. Okay, I see your face. It's a face of mild disgust. But I will tell you, later in the episode, when we actually get to see the display of said food, it looks pretty good. You lost me at kale. Now, if it was sausage and spinach or salad, although they have salad. I would eat it. Yeah. I wish I liked kale. I mean, everybody's like, kale, kale, kale. Everybody eat kale. But I'm sorry. I, I just can't do it. Now, you were educated me on the size of the cheese lumps in that salad. You said that's a caprice salad that they have with their Yeah, likely. It's like a little mozzarella ball, probably. I'm thinking that with all that roughage, they're all going to need to take a little potty break after dinner because that's mostly a lettuce diet with some sausage in there. You get a salad and kale. It's a double whammy. You are always talking about bodily flexions. It's a double whammy of roughage. I mean, are they rabbits? (sighs) Well, they have good digestion. It is a great kitchen, by the way, and I love the fridge. The fridge at Emma's house is tippity-toppity. Clearly, this is either a real house or it's a very elaborate set piece. We get a great reality TV show quip from Emma. She is kissing Kieran in the parking lot, and this reminds me of the movie Twilight. She seems happy, uncharacteristically happy, I might add, but things seem to be going well for this happy foursome. You've got Emma with Kieran. You've got Clark Hudson with Maggie. Everybody is oh so happy. I wonder how long it will last. Then we get Noah with his free Audrey t-shirt when he greets her in the hallway, and it's hilarious. And their subsequent exchange is also hilarious, which I will read to you now. There's my little felon. So glad my ordeal brought you such amusement. It would have brought me cold hard cash, hawking these bad boys, but then you got sprung early. So, silver lining, my Christmas shopping's done. (laughs) Okay, before you ask about my Shawshank Redemption, no, I did not get traded for a pack of cigarettes or get chin checked, and I definitely did not wear the four-piece. But you did Google prison slang. Yup, you got me. That is just another sterling example of the wise and ridiculously witty dialogue in this show. It is fantastic. What is chin check? That's prison slang to punch another inmate in the jaw to see if he'll fight back. So think of like an alpha test. Chin check. Four-piece or four-piece suit. A full set of restraints composed of handcuffs, leg irons, and waist chain, and security boxes to cover the restraints' keyholes. Holy shitballs. That is an intense inmate that receives that. And this so motivated me to educate myself on more prison jargon, so this is what I came up with. All day. A life sentence as in, I'm doing all day. All day. All day, son. Going to school. Middle school, high school, college. That was common, where people would just be like, all day. I heard it all the time, and now I know. Well, I think it's Schmidt now. Cell warrior, an inmate that puts on a tough front or runs their mouth when locked in their cell, but is submissive or cowardly when interacting with other prisoners in the open. I would say this is like Othello, except he actually will attack OJ out in the open as well. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Thanks. Dance on the blacktop. To get stabbed. Oh, dang. Several characters thus far in this show have danced on the blacktop, have they not? Ninja Turtles. Guards dressed in full riot gear. 
also known as Hats and Bats. <laughs> That's awesome. Ninja Toidles. Three knee deep. To stab someone so that they're injured but not killed, usually as a warning. Three knee deep. Well, Faux Ghostface. We're ready for prison. Faux Ghostface ain't fucking with no three knee deep. He's plumb cutting the heads off motherfuckers. Or you're making other stance on the blacktop, I guess. The malware is gone, and Branson has the substitute teacher, thus leading to one of the greatest lines in this episode, Noah to Audrey, the subplot thickens. <laughs> Love the puns! Subplot thicker than blood slash water. Okay, Piper is now at the school. She approaches these people. We need to talk. Why didn't she go to the police? Does she ever explain that? It will reveal itself oh, here okay. in a second. Okay, yeah, yeah. We need to talk. She's talking to Emma. She's talking to Noah. She's talking to Audrey. She's talking to Jake. But primarily, she's got her eyes set on Emma. She gives Will credit. She says, Will saved my life. So good for her, good for Will. They all now are at the abandoned garage. Two interesting things happen. One, Brooke now realizes that Jake was blackmailing all along and trying to blame it on Will. And of course, he's like, well, if it wasn't for this, you wouldn't have even known about your father. And then everyone's bickering. Emma plays the mom card and tells everybody to shut the fuck up. The reason that Piper approached Emma directly is because a message was left for Emma oh, yeah. in blood that says, no cops, Emma. Also, I notice in this blood message, there's no comma between cops and Emma. Mm, maybe there wasn't enough blood, but more likely it's somebody who is stupid. So, I mean, the Jake argument is growing. It gets better. <gasps> Remember when Noah put douche on Jake's truck and purposely misspelled douche? Yes. That's that's coming to mind. So you, so now we think it's Noah? It could be a retard. It could be It Noah. could be somebody who just did not attend a very prestigious literary education university. It could be someone that is highly intelligent, but they're pretending to be retarded just to throw people off their mm, scent. Like Noah. Again, it's a great set piece. I'm so glad that when we were first introduced to the abandoned garage, they treat us by returning us to the scene of the crime. I love it. I love this abandoned garage. I also love the asylum, and of course, I will love the bowling alley that we will be seeing forthwith. The phone is ringing. It's Will's phone. Hello, Emma. But it's not Will. You hear him kind of whining and screaming in the background a little bit. Help, help me, Emma! But you know that it's the killer. New game, hide and seek. This is a part that made both Daisy Bell and I laugh hysterically. Ooh, can I say it? Can I say it? Okay, I'll set you up. So they're talking on the phone, and the killer makes some innuendo, some caustic comments, and then Emma says, well, you know, I think you're mistaken there, Mr. Fogo's face, because I've been speaking with my mother, and she told me, your mother's a lying whore! It's exactly what the killer says, and <laughs> it's so funny. Also, I love when Noah says to Emma a little bit later, hey, Emma, would you like to participate in some non-felonious fun crime? <laughs> and then she says, look, Will needs help um, finding his moral compass. <laughs> No, finding his phone. Do you have any idea how to track it? Yes, an app called Find My Phone. I love him. God. He's so good. And I can also see why, and this is actually uh, a consistent plot point, which I appreciate. Noah's always Noah. Emma's always slightly perturbed by him. This is a running theme throughout this season. We learned that Brooke's mom is in rehab in Arizona. You see, her father, Mr. Maddox, has to come clean. Basically, Brooke goes to her father at his work and confronts him. Where is my mother? And we get some information from Mr. Maddox where he says, your mother's in rehab in Arizona. Everything's fine. It's fine. Brooke does not believe him. It's also a great dynamic, again, between Maddox's father and Maddox's daughter. They have been consistently good in their interactions. And this is just another scene 
that is personifying that. No one makes a comment as he now is deciding that he will help Emma locate Will. He says, ah, the Dratus contact has come in. Dratus, as in D-R-A-D-I-S. I knew that that had to be something. Some inside joke, some pop culture reference. So I looked it up. It's from Battlestar Galactica culture. Dratus, a Dratus readout, which stands for, it's an acronym, direction, range, and distance. Alternatively, declination, right ascension, and distance. There you have it. A tracking technology used in the reimagined Battlestar Galactica miniseries and television show. So I was right in that I knew it had to be something meaningful. And I nailed it! Now, much like where the abandoned hospital was out by the turnpike, this bowling alley is out past the crossroads. And if it's one thing that we learn from watching Supernatural, the television series... Damon at the crossroads. Crossroads are to be avoided. Yeah, because that's where you make deals with the devil. Kieran is on the phone with Emma. Emma is going out to this bowling alley to try to save Will. Kieran is at Emma's house with her mom and his dad. They're wanting to have dinner for the four of them. But Emma is like, Kieran, listen, I can't explain, but please cover for me. Well, because Kieran is the most well-adjusted motherfucker in the world, let alone Lakewood, he's like, okay, I will lie and tell your rents that you're helping Audrey study, but you owe me. Now Jake pulls out his backpack full of goodies. He's got a skinner and a gut hook. And then Jake has a very memorable line, and it's very Jake. It's his idea for them to split up, meaning that Emma and Noah will go through the alley, and Jake and Brooke will go the opposite way, and they will meet up somewhere in the back of the bowling alley to gain entrance. Well, Jake says, write your blood type on your boots, it's time to shake and Jake. Thus, beginning an entirely new moniker for Jake, Shake and Jake. Well, Karen does in fact cover for Emma, because he loves her, and says that she is helping Audrey study for midterms. The truth is, Audrey is actually taking her midterms, which is why she's a little out of pocket. As Jake and Brooke are having their discourse on the walk, I have come to the conclusion, after a couple of episodes, Jake is smarter than he seems. I have noticed this before. His prior talk of Apex Predator, his understanding of exactly how Brooke regards him, I think he's smarter than he than he looks. Yeah, I, I guess he plays the dumb jock. I, I'm not exactly sure his motivation, but I agree. I think like Brooke, I still like Brooke the best, but like we've talked about in the past with Brooke, there is more than initially meets the eye for Jake. I actually can't think of a character that's particularly flat or one-dimensional. They all have their demons. They all have their perspectives. I think HUD, he's not one-dimensional, but I think HUD is the most straightforward. But even with him, there's a little bit of a past. So it's very superlative casting. And I think that each character knows their character really well. And it's reflected on screen. And then he says, Nerd HQ, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, when he says this to Brooke, first of all, Nerd HQ is clever, as he's referring to Noah. But that line almost identically is from Scream, where on the phone with Casey Becker, a.k.a. Drew Barrymore, the killer, who actually is Stu Mocker, says, We're out in the middle of nowhere. They'd never make it in time. And the parallels between Scream 1996 and this show, some people say, that Jake is representing the Stumacher character the most. He says kind of goofy things. He says bad things at bad times. Faux pas, if you will. Well, Brock is officially off the case. Sheriff Hud did his good, dogged investigative work, and Brock is gone. And I do not think that we see uh, Brock again. But it is celebration time. And this is what's so great about this episode, is not only is there this real vibrant set piece at this abandoned bowling alley, but all of the characters are theorizing who they think the killer is. And they all bring up pretty logical points. 
So Noah says, look, Emma, this killer is playing chess, not checkers. They want you to be put in the position of who lives and who dies so that when these people are killed, you will ultimately feel somewhat responsible. I think that's pretty brilliant. What about you? I think it's terrifying. There is great music playing at the house when Kieran, Hud, and Maggie are enjoying the kale and sausage meal. But I will get to the music later. I love when they're trying to make innocent small talk with Kieran. It's so awkward. <laughs> and they're like, um, well, we know that Emma should be here. She's not. So, Kieran, how do you like Lakewood? Well, aside from all the murders, it's nice. <laughs> it's great. It's a great line. This is like scene number two or three from this episode that makes Red Devil and I laugh Best hysterically. Best quote ever. Actually, this whole episode has a lot of cool it's quotes. A great, it's a great episode. Like, I would say that, not that I had any issues with the show beforehand, but I feel like with this episode, they're really coming into their own stride, you know? But Noah and Emma are walking down this dark, dank, asbestos-riddled bowling alley, and randomly, there's this massive artwork that covers the back wall, and they're having a serious discussion about who's who among murderers and killers alike, and Noah just stops in his tracks and says, Wow. That is the most Mac Daddy Jaguar and Space Shuttle mural I've ever seen. <laughs> and he's not wrong. There's a fucking Jaguar, massive in scale, and the Space Shuttle, and the two are merging. It's ridiculous. Brooke so astutely remarks that it smells like wet dog and car wax at this bowling alley. And to make the yin and yang present here, Jake suspects Noah. Jake's like, hey, Nerd HQ over there got us all to come here to this very dangerous location. But Noah suspects Shake and Jake. And it's funny because after Jake says, it's time to Shake and Jake, Noah subsequently calls him Shake and Jake. But I think it's really meant like in jest. I love the bowling alley set piece. I really like the alleyway where Emma is stalked by a homeless person slash faux ghost face. The creep factor is there for sure. And unlike the hospital, which was great in its own right and design, but I feel like this set piece gets its proper time. They're there for like 20 minutes. When the ball return occurs, I almost peed my pants. Yes. It was very unexpected, but also totally plausible, right? I love how Jake calls out Brooke for the Seth Branson knowledge. <laughs> That's so funny. They're arguing- Also a clue that he is uh, smarter than everyone gives him credit for. He hadn't called her out up to this point, but now he's like, come on. Well, he says, sorry, not everybody can be Metro like your professor, Seth Branson. She stops in her tracks. What? Hashtag not subtle. He knows that she has been seeing Mr. Branson. The knife in the door, when Jake just stabs that large-ass gut knife I know, the door, I was getting so creeped out. And she's just like, uh, she's like, my dad's a corrupt mayor. I'm used to people holding knives to my body. It works. It's like devilishly delicious. It works, but it is like off-putting because it's like, why is Jake towering over her and sticking this knife in the door like right above her head? But that's something that he would do. And then Noah makes a very sound observation. He says, Emma, the reason that we're here what are we looking for? The guts, the place where you would make it all work. That's something unique about a bowling alley is you go in there to bowl and to play and to drink cheap beer and eat hot dogs and nachos and to look at murals of Mac Daddy Jaguars and space shuttle launches. But you don't see all the mechanics at the bowling alley. It's not like going to Shipley's Donuts and watching them make the donuts before you eat them. Mmm, donuts. It's purposefully hidden. And you're right when you mentioned before that aside from this episode, the only other time that I really thought about a bowling alley was in Constantine. But Noah is the perfect casting choice for pointing out these things that you might have latently thought about, but they hadn't come in the foreground of your mind yet. So I appreciate that he's kind of spelling things out. Noah decides it's time to make a knife stick. And he's fumbling with this thing, but leave it to Brooke to actually make the knife stick. 
And then she so cleverly states, it's a spear, by the way, Noah. So why are you calling it a knife stick? Yeah. Meanwhile, Emma is trying to resuscitate Will, I guess. Will is in a bad way. His big, luscious lips are looking blue. He's obviously been injured, but he comes to and he feels something wrong with his back. We learn that much like a vending machine, B as in Bravo, as in Brooke, and the digit four, B4, is carved into his back. It's a vending machine selection. Kevin from The Office would be so thrilled. He'd be looking for the candy. We learn that Brandon James worked at this bowling alley. So they are not here by coincidence. They are here for a very plot-relevant reason. And then Emma finds something, because basically B4 leads her to a little cubbyhole marked B4. She finds a cassette tape that says PTSD Project on it, and it also has mention of her father, Kevin Duvall. So naturally, this has secured her attention. As this is all happening, and this foursome is tucked away, Jake is still responding to a call of nature, and that's why he and Brooke temporarily separated. But the Daisy creepy cue music begins, and you hear Daisy, Daisy, over the loudspeaker in this abandoned bowling alley. And Noah's like, yep, that was the only thing missing from this horror platter is that music. Emma goes and finds a cassette player. She turns off the bullshit music. She puts in the PTSD project tape and she's listening to a session between her father, Kevin, and a therapist. And the most telling thing from that is you learn that Daisy, aka Maggie, slept with that monster, Brandon James. And Brandon James worked at this bowling alley. So for all we know, that act occurred at or near said bowling alley. Emma is processing all of this. Then, the killer- This was so creepy. The killer is right fucking there. Running. Like seconds away. And it's so cool because that white contorted mask looks really good in the damp light. We see that Jake has been stabbed. Holy shit. This knife is like half into Jake's chest. It's fucking ridiculous. And so Jake's sitting there with his back up against this pillar and he looks dead. And Brooke goes over to his side. She's like sad. And then he says in a whisper, you weep for the Jake. <laughs> it's Personality a Personality all the way to the end. It's a great line. And then, of course, fortunately, the camera pans away. But Brooke puts all of the torque in her 90-pound body to rip that knife out of his chest. Ouch! God, and then you hear Jake scream as a result, and rightfully so. Oh, shit, the killer! The killer appears again. This killer is very nimble. Also, this killer previously stole Noah's knife stick. When Noah was so desperately oh, yeah. trying to poke knife at the killer stick. through the door. Oh, God. Oh, God. And then he takes knife stick. R.I.P. The killer is gone. He runs out the back door. There's a back alley. The police arrive. Why did the police arrive? Because Karen says that he's going to go collect Emma so that she can be there for this dinner. Well, that's not going to happen because, as you know, Emma is at this bowling alley. Well, Audrey shows up to Maggie's house because she got a frantic call from her friends, but it was cutting out. So all she heard from Noah on the other end of the phone was something about a bowling alley and murder and blood and blah, blah, blah. Well, in this moment, Maggie realizes that she was lied to, but that's taking a back seat to the bigger issue at hand. HUD calls for backup, and Audrey has the wherewithal to tell them, I think they're at this bowling alley out past the crossroads. So that's why these cops bust in right as faux Ghostface is leaving. But then something interesting happens. As all this pandemonium is unfolding, Kieran fucking appears. What the hell? And Emma's like, what the fuck? What are you doing here, Kieran? I heard the call on the police scanner. I came as soon as I could. Do we believe him? I don't know. I mean, his dad's a cop. I don't know either, but I think... His dad's a cop. He was at the house when a lot of this shit was happening. 
I think it's just questionable direction to throw us off. Who knows? But it's crazy that he's there. We see the Harlequin Funko Pop. We get another great song. And this is where Sheriff Hud says to Emma in front of her mother, I think it's time that you have a protective detail, which she reluctantly, we learn, accepts. And then there's this great discussion between Emma and Kieran, where Kieran's like, this is getting insane. I lied for you, Emma. No questions asked, but I need to know more. You need to give me something. Kieran, for an 18-year-old, is so very cool, calm, collected, composed, and centered. It's funny because I feel like when I was around that age, in a lot of ways, I could be mature like that. And the women did not want anything to do with it. They wanted to find the most yep. immature retard they could find. That's and then marry like. him. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought that was so odd. And I love it. when. And this is great. This is like, And this is a line. I think Kieran Wilcox, Amadeus, is a good actor. Because there's so many times where the line could be gag-worthy, but it's just not with him. He can just pull off a lot of the melodrama. I agree. It's yeah. really odd, almost. Yep. But she goes, you're mad. And he goes, no, I just know what I want. And then he leaves. I think it's because he's never overacting. And he's saying shit that people might actually say in the moment. Then Emma gets a call from Will, and he's recovering. He says that bed rest blows, which, hey man, I hear you, it does blow. But because she's going to be extra cautious, she says, Will, what did we do on our second date? (laughs) And he's like, oh, that's easy. We had Thai food or Indian food, and you curry burped your way through Maze Runner. (laughs) So she's like, she smirks. She's like, okay, you're right. He wants to watch The Expendables because he has a well-worn, well-loved copy of the Expendables on Blu-ray. So she's like, okay, I'll be at your house. He's like, my mom would love to see you. In this moment, I'm thinking they're going to slowly get back together. Yes, Kieran was an appetizing distraction, but she's known Will a long time. Yeah, there's history. And it was an emotional night. Yeah. So she goes to Will's farm. We can tell that she's excited because Emma doesn't really do a lot of really cutesy things. She brings fucking candy. She brings overpriced candy to this theatrical experience. Well, then she gets another call. And it's from Will Belmont's phone. He sounds a little weird, kind of like when Audrey was on the phone yes. with Rachel in yeah. episode. There, it's like distorted, slightly distorted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there's a delay, or it sounds like the difference between talking into the mouthpiece like and service. being on speaker. It's yeah. just different. And he's like, "Hey, change of plans. Come find me, Will. Where were we on our third date? You know, I don't recall. Oh shit! Your mother's a whore." <laughs> and then the voice changes over. It's like. Hey, Emma, if I were you, I would run. Well, Emma does start running. And then she comes upon Will. She shouldn't have done it. Tied to a chair, duct taped, and there's a fucking trencher that is turned on and the chain is working and it's just above Will's head. And so she sees that he's in peril. So she does what any reasonable person do. She starts running in his direction to try to get him out of this fiasco. And in doing so, she trips a wire and brings the trencher down on Will's fucking head. By luscious lip, Will. You magical creature, you. Uh, this, I mean, we haven't talked about scariest scenes, but this was like, what? I couldn't believe it when I saw it for the first time. Such a heavy weight dropped on her date. Emma gives Will a splitting headache. A date to dismember. All of the puns. That's clever indeed. Great job. But right before this, there's this little coda dialogue between Audrey and Noah. And this is where Noah says, how do we know that Jake and Will didn't have these superficial injuries? It's Will's wounded warrior act. Now, by the way, those are some harsh words. I understand that everybody's a suspect, but those are harsh words, Noah. 
And then Audrey's like, from laid up to laid, that's pretty dark. Great dialogue. They're pontificating on who they think is what. By the way, Will, when he's tied to that chair briefly before he dies, it's just like Stephen Orth in Scream, Drew Barrymore's boyfriend. He is helpless in that chair and then dies a gruesome fucking demise. Oh, shit. Final body count tally, one. Will, divided in two. Where there's a will, there's a split personality fillet. Ayo! Now it's time for tunes for the post-op surgical mask-wearing loons. Unless, of course, there's anything else you wanted to say about this episode. Just that I love it! This is probably my favorite episode, actually, so far. They're all really good, but this one was jam-packed. Just saying. Lots of scary moments. We didn't even talk about... Oh, wait. Mm, well, uh, Brooke gets chased by the killer in the bowling alley. That part was scary, too. Basically, the whole entire episode, I was on pins and needles. It's definitely up there with the pilot episode and also that episode number three when they're playing that great song and Audrey is mourning Rachel's death. Very good stuff. We have the song Touch by Mala, M-A-A-L-A. It's when they're having a recap. We have the song Drifting by On and On. This is when Emma teases her mom about the dinner she's making for Clark and then asks why her father left. Set This Heart on Fire by Machine Heart. Kieran picks Emma up for school. Then they kiss in the parking lot. Sirens by Lola Marsh. This is a fantastic song. Clark, Kieran, and Maggie sit down to dinner. Continues as Kieran offers to pick Emma up from Audrey's place. Spectacular Rival by George Ezra. This is when the police talk to the teenagers and Brooke holds Jake's hand. You weep for the Jake in the ambulance. As Brooke weeps away for the Jake, will her waterproof mascara this time take? Will wanted to watch The Expendables, but it's he who is goddamn expendable, just as Emma's dumbass is triggering a tripwire dependable. We observe consequences of splitting up, and Emma's to blame for dropping a splitting headache upon her old, thick-lipped flame. Here, we're lifting the surgical mask through our faux ghost face Noah Foster Imposter podcast. Where there's a will, there's a bloodstained double-breasted fillet. Get it? Because his chest is cut in two. Yeah. Dream a little scream for us, dreamy screamers. Or stream a little scream for us, streaming screamers. Note that Scream the TV series is available on Netflix. Can you spot the killer's brand? Cold knife clutched in their blood-red hand. The pilot proved a pulse-pounding blast. Episode 2 shouts from the stadium, alleyway, and balcony that the main cast can't, faux ghostface, outrun, outthink, or outlast. In episode 3, the slasher would not leave Noah's first love be. And though we were spared human bloodshed in episode 4, there was a headless pig, bloody faux ghostface stencil, and hidden executable blackmail executed by Bicurious and the Virgin. All alive. At the dawn of episode 5, this chapter survive. Those who remain alive in episode 6 are left to pick up slivers of emotional sticks. Closer to a gritty hell than a pretty heaven in episode 7, Lakewood's body count rises to 5. Poor Will Belmont's died and Emma feels guilty inside. Far more dead bodies will soon be in the morgue stored, for the slasher seeks more bloodstains on the scoreboard and, as always, craves more gore and takes slaughter in stride. Until the killer finds a new fixation, Emma's friends will find salvation, provided they avoid 
balconies, hot tubs, condemned asylums, forsaken garages, gyms, alleyways, the undermanned police station, and revisiting aforementioned abandoned garages, particularly the decrepit bathrooms of said derelict garages, and bowling alleys, but only if they are Mac Daddy, Rusty, and Ratty. If you listen intently and watch with focused peepers, you just might catch the next chapter coming, Bogo Space, facing stage fright and a dark fate in Episode 8, The Dichotomy of Will, Daymare on Lakewood Street, cutting the insomniac some slack. Your host, the Noah Foster Imposter, Falsetto Prophet, and co-host, Daisy, you'll meet me in Hellbell, Red Devil, out. out.